0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 63 of Minds Over Money. I'm your host, Cameron Brady, and on this week's episode, I'm covering three headlines from last week that directly impact the economy, as well as having potential implications on your own investment portfolios. And those headlines are diverging jobs data raise questions about labor market health, high-tech smell sensors aim to sniff out disease, explosives, and even moods, and beware wishful thinking about inflation and recession. In addition to those headlines, I'm also covering another financial planning topic, and this week, it's maintain your focus, how to face short-term market volatility. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy. This week's first headline is diverging jobs data raise questions about labor market health. Payroll growth is strong, but household data and other indicators are weakening. The U.S. is adding workers at a strong pace over the last three months. It is also losing workers. The conflicting employment data came from two different surveys, one of employers and one of households, used to calculate employment, unemployment, and other key figures in the Labor Department's monthly jobs report. The divergence raises questions about the labor market's overall strength, as more signs point to a slowing economy. The survey of employers shows non-farm payrolls growing by an average of 375,000 jobs a month over the past three months. The household survey shows the economy losing an average of 116,000 jobs a month during the same span. Many economists consider the establishment survey more reliable, in part because the household survey has a smaller sample size and a larger margin of error. The two series tend to converge over time, but some are watching the deteriorating household data closely for early signs the labor market is at a turning point. Taken alone, a few poor months for household data alongside solid non-farm payroll gains might not merit such concern, but the recent losing streak corresponds with other data suggesting slowing growth and some cracks in the labor market. Gross domestic product, a broad measure of economic output, contracted at 1.6% annual pace in the first quarter of the year, and could decline again in the second quarter. Economists surveyed by the Wall Street Journal this month on average estimate that the GDP advanced at a mere 0.37% annual rate in the second quarter, down from 2.98% in an April survey. Job openings remain robust, but have come off recent records. Initial claims for unemployment benefits, a proxy for layoffs, hit their lowest in more than a half century in March, but have since trended upward, and hit their highest level since last November in the week ended July 9th. The Institute for Supply Management survey of purchasing managers at U.S. factories showed employment contracting in May and June. ISM's service sector index showed employment contracting in three of the past five months, though businesses sometimes complained they weren't hiring because they couldn't find qualified applicants. Anecdotally, more companies are trimming staff, slowing hiring, and sometimes rescinding job offers. Google last Tuesday became one of the latest tech companies to brace for a weakening economy when it announced a slowdown in hiring. The Labor Department also revises its non-farm payroll numbers several times, but not the household data. Research on previous recessions and recoveries indicate that initial payroll estimates tend to understate job creation in the early stages of a recovery and overstate it in the early stages of a downturn. The divergence is partly because the surveys define employment differently. The household survey, for example, includes workers in private households such as nannies or housekeepers, farm workers, and the self-employed, while the establishment survey doesn't. Someone with two jobs is counted twice in the payroll survey, once in the household survey. When the labor department adjusts its household survey to the payroll definition of employment, the picture isn't quite as bad. Employment rose over the past three months, though, by a still meager average of 37,000 jobs a month. Tracked side by side, though, both sets of household numbers show a sharp drop-off in hiring since March. The red-hot labor market seems to be showing signs of cooling down after the past few months. Or maybe not, depending on which survey you choose to read. The truth is most likely somewhere in the middle. While the data of either survey is not cause for major concern, the plethora of positive labor market headlines we've seen over the past six plus months may not be totally accurate. Again, same type of message as we've had over the last few episodes, a recession is most likely on our horizon. What we do with that information will determine what the next few years will be like. We know that timing the market is a losing game, so a move away from stocks to the relative safety of cash or other short-term assets is never recommended. Find an asset allocation that works for you no matter what the markets decide to throw at you. Intimately understand your cash flows and what your portfolio can realistically provide you in withdrawals and stay disciplined with your investment plan so that you and your portfolio are primed for the eventual market recovery and the next bull market. This week's second headline is high-tech smell sensors aim to sniff out disease, explosives, and even our moods. Advances in artificial intelligence, bioengineering, and synthetic biology power a new breed of odor sensors, some using living cells. We live in a world of odors, chemical signals that contain valuable data about our health, the environment, and even personal choices like which foods, perfumes, and beverages we enjoy. Despite the decades of research and development, however, this aromatic information has remained mostly untapped. But now, scientists and entrepreneurs are redoubling their efforts to recreate the sense of smell in compact devices that detect and analyze odors similar to the way cameras now recognize our faces and microphones our words. In pursuit of these high-tech devices, which could use odors to detect disease like cancer or COVID-19, locate hidden explosives, or decipher our moods and behaviors, some companies are leveraging advances in synthetic biology and genetic engineering. Others are harnessing advances in artificial intelligence. The quest to build better olfactory sensors is a challenging one because odors are made up of many different chemicals and because animals olfactory receptors, specialized cells in the nose that recognize odor molecules, are remarkably diverse. Humans have three types of receptors for color vision, for instance, but hundreds of different olfactory receptors. Among the most futuristic devices are those that incorporate living cells engineered to react to specific odor components. Kanaku Inc., a startup in California, is now using bioengineered nerve cells as the basis for sensors capable of recognizing the subtle odors of explosives. The cells contain proteins designed to detect so-called volatile organic compounds, carbon-containing substances that seep into the air from a range of sources, including food, paints, beverages, bodies, and unexploded bombs. In recent tests at San Francisco International Airport, A prototype of Kanaku's bomb-sniffing device identified pieces of planted luggage known to contain explosives, with an accuracy of 97%. In separate tests, Kanaku's sensors matched trained dogs' ability to detect explosives. The company is also developing sensors for use in healthcare and other industries. Aromix Corporation, another startup in California, is also using cells to create odor sensors but rather than selling devices, it offers food and wine producers a lab-based service to help them better understand the specific odor molecules that drive consumer preferences. Company workers pair consumer survey data on people's likes and dislikes with how Aromix's bioengineered odor-detecting cells react to certain odor molecules to come up with preference profiles. MIT's Dr. Mershin is focusing on medical applications of olfactory technology inspired by dogs that have demonstrated an ability to sniff out malignancies in humans. He's working on an artificial intelligence odor detection system to help detect prostate cancer. In 2021, Dr. Mershin's team published results showing that their system matched trained dogs' ability to detect prostate cancer in the urine of patients with the disease. Since then, the team has increased the software's accuracy to more than 90%. The system is more reliable than the well-known prostate-specific antigen blood test, which can lead to false positive diagnoses. Only 25% of men who undergo a prostate biopsy following a suspicious PSA finding are later found to have cancer. Olfaction experts warn that a series of scientific and technical challenges must be overcome before high-tech odor detectors are ready for broad penetration into the marketplace. For systems that use living cells, it will be important to monitor how often devices need to be replaced and how accuracy stacks up over long time frames. Scientists and data rights experts say the emergence of sophisticated molecular surveillance, for example, turning cell phones into what some experts call smell phones, capable of spotting medical conditions raises thorny questions of privacy. After all, odors our bodies constantly emit contain clues about our health and personal choices, including the products we use and the foods we eat, as well as our drinking and smoking habits and more. The collection and analysis of human olfactory data could affect some insurance coverage, for example, as well as employment, according to legal experts. Can you imagine a future where your preferred tastes and smells are stored in an app? that then makes food and beverage choices on your behalf. Or when you enter the doctor's office, the first medical device they use takes a big whiff of your person to help analyze what health issues you may have. This future may be years away if it becomes a reality at all, but the advances in artificial intelligence and olfactory sensors is real and tangible. With obvious security issues, wide adoption of this type of technology may never materialize, but niche uses are out there. This week's third headline, beware wishful thinking about inflation and recession. So long as underlying inflation is high, the Federal Reserve is not your friend. Inflation has peaked. The Fed's tightening has accomplished its mission. Strong labor market and consumer fundamentals will keep any recession mild. These are among the storylines providing a tailwind to stocks in recent weeks. They feed hopes the Federal Reserve has achieved a soft landing, bringing inflation down to 2% without pushing up unemployment or tipping the economy into a recession. A reality check is in order. A soft landing is certainly possible, but these storylines look more like wishful thinking than a tough-minded appraisal of the Fed's task. Let's review. The inflation threat has passed. Though inflation hit a new four-decade high of 9.1% in June, market sentiment on inflation has improved markedly since early last month. The Bloomberg Commodity Index has fallen 18% from its 2022 peak, copper by 33%, lumber by 54%, and Brent crude oil by 22%. So, has the inflation threat passed? No, it is certainly better to have bond and commodity markets expecting inflation to go down rather than up. But the Fed has made it clear it wants to see actual inflation go down. Inflation sentiment alone won't cut it. Odds are, overall inflation will decline over the coming year as gasoline prices stabilize or drop and improved supply chains temper goods prices. But the question isn't whether inflation will drop below 9%, but where it settles once various supply shocks dissipate. For example, what is the underlying trend rate of inflation? No single measure captures that trend, but a decent approximation comes from the Dallas Fed's Trimmed Mean Personal Consumption Inflation Index which each month excludes the most volatile prices. It was 4% in May, double the Fed's target. Research by the St. Louis Fed shows that raw material prices have almost no impact on this measure of underlying inflation. And for good reason, they are only a tiny share of total costs. As the price of lumber plummeted two thirds from peak to trough last year, home prices marched steadily higher. The Fed will shift its priority to recession from inflation. Declining commodity prices and bond yields signal softer global growth ahead. Investors extrapolate that to say, The Fed has tightened enough and will now focus on staving off recession rather than combating inflation. The Fed is your friend, so buy stocks. That reflects a pre-2021 mindset when inflation was usually around 2% and there was no need to force it lower by strangling the economy. Thus, a recession was always a policy error the result of tightening too much or easing too little. When growth weakened or the financial system seized up, the Fed could rush to the rescue by slashing rates, buying bonds, or both. Stocks then rallied. This became known as the Fed put, named for put options, which protect investors against losses. None of that applies today. Underlying inflation is far above 2%, and if it takes a recession to get it back down, that is unfortunate, but not an error. In options speak, the Fed put is deeply out of the money, unless markets fall off a cliff so much that the central bank thinks financial sector repair is the central problem now, they're not going to back off. Monetary policy is tight. By clearly signaling plans to raise short-term interest rates, the Fed has sent bond yields and mortgage rates up by the most since 1994. So monetary policy has clearly tightened. But is it actually tight in an absolute sense? One measure of that is the real interest rate. For example, the nominal rate minus inflation that, however, depends on what inflation will be. You could once assume 2%, in which case today's bond yields are positive, though still historically low. And maybe the fed is nearly done, but if future inflation is 4%, real bond yields are still negative and the fed has work to do. Strong fundamentals will keep any recession mild. Households' wealth is at an all-time high, they are flush with cash, and job markets are drum-tight with payrolls up a blistering $1.1 million in the past three months. Many economists and policymakers say these solid fundamentals mean if a recession happens, it will be mild. There are two problems with this reasoning. First, the severity of a recession won't be a function of fundamentals, but the stubbornness of inflation. The Fed has to raise interest rates until demand softens enough for inflation to fall. If fundamentals are strong, that just means the Fed will have to raise rates more to achieve the desired effect on demand. In fact, every time stocks rally on hopes the Fed will stop tightening, it makes the Fed more likely to keep tightening. That is because higher stock prices bolster consumer wealth and confidence and thus demand. Second, the fundamentals may not be that strong. Inflation is eating into savings and income, and the job market may be less robust than payroll data implies. Claims for unemployment insurance are rising at a rate usually seen in recessions. None of this is to say a soft landing won't happen. Some unusual features of the economy point in that direction. The restricted supply of goods and labor has contributed disproportionately to rising prices, and loosened restrictions could do the opposite. Moderating wages could take pressure off costs. For now, though, these are just theories, and the Fed prefers reality. Depending on what you are reading, you may be getting two different sides of our current economic status in the US. The Federal Reserve, as mentioned in previous episodes, has an extremely tough job ahead of them with having to tame inflation without shoving us into a recession. It is way too early to tell how successful they might be, so hold on to your hats as we continue down the relative unknown of where the economy and markets will head from here. The advice is still the same, stay disciplined in your investment plan, have faith in the companies that make up your portfolio, allow the time needed for a market recovery, and have patience during the expected volatility to avoid making any costly mistakes. This week's financial planning topic is maintain your focus. Here are a few helpful suggestions to maintain your focus in the face of short-term market volatility. First, stocks don't make people wealthy, people make themselves wealthy. The most important variable in your investment plan is also the only variable you can control, your own behavior. Make sure you have written goals detailing how much money you will need and exactly when you will need it. Then, have a system for accumulating and distributing the money you need using a realistic assumption of return. Invest the same dollar amount in the same investments each month. That way, even when some of your investments seem to be down, and especially when the whole market craters, the miracle of dollar cost averaging is buying you bushels of low priced shares. Dollar cost averaging empowers you to view down markets as an opportunist rather than a victim. A 4% systematic withdrawal from a 9% asset class, equities, or stocks, has historically been a formula for an income you don't outlive and a growing gift for your children and grandchildren. Buy when you have the money, sell when you need the money. Everything else is market timing, which is another term for madness. And wouldn't it be nice to have someone to talk to when the going gets tough? A professional advisor, not a commissioned salesman, but a true fee-only planner to be your filter for the financial information overload that you are receiving. Your advisor can calm you when you are too greedy and motivate you when you are too afraid. An unemotional, detached voice of reason can be a stabilizing force in the confusing hail of information coming at you from the talking heads on TV or social media. Someone you trust with only your best interest in mind, acting in a fiduciary capacity, can be the best investment decision you make. When the average mutual fund returns several percentage points more than the average mutual fund investor receives, the only explanation is bad investor behavior. A trusted advisor can add value by correcting that bad investor behavior and closing the gap on the difference between investment returns and investor returns and that's probably many multiples of their fee. If you and your life savings are being ignored or feeling taken advantage of, come join our family. We're a family-owned financial planning and investment advisory firm who promise to treat you like family. No products, no hard sell, no gimmicks, just honest advice based on our four decades of experience. If you have any questions on this week's episode or are interested in getting an unbiased opinion on your finances, Please give me a call at 440 235 2100 or email me at Cameron at MichaelBradyCo.com. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed.